Hi, this is Mark C. Crowley, and I'm coming to you from La Jolla, California, and I'd like to welcome you to the first Lead from the Heart podcast. Some of you listening in today already know me, either through my book, my leadership articles, or through our connections on Twitter and LinkedIn, but even those of you already familiar with my work still might be wondering what I'm hoping to accomplish with the podcast, and most importantly, what's in store for you. So, to get things started, I want to introduce you to Ken Boynton. Ken's an author. He wrote a cool little book called Blip. And as one of my closest friends, he knows my work better than just about anyone. So a few days ago, I was telling Ken about my plans to put together this overview, and I asked him what he thought listeners might want to know. Well, Ken cleverly said, why don't I just come up with a list of the key questions, and then I'll ask you all of them on the air. Well, I got to tell you, the idea of having a conversation with Ken immediately struck me as being a far better way of introducing the podcast. And we both agreed it would be even more fun if I didn't see any of the questions in advance. So without further ado, I'm going to turn things over to Ken. And together, we're going to explain what the Lead from the Heart podcast is all about. So Ken, welcome. Thank you very much, Mark. I'm honored to be the stand-in for the guy who will be interviewing everybody on all future episodes of your podcast, (laughs) which is you. But for now, I've got you in the hot seat. So Let's see where I want to start. You do a lot of publishing your work. Of course, your book, Lead from the Heart, which is a great book, and thanks for mentioning my book as well. But also, you write articles. Fast Company's published a lot of your stuff. Your LinkedIn articles have done really well. So you've got some reach. I know your Twitter account has got lots and lots of folks that follow you. So you are getting your messages out there to some folks. And the podcast, this kind of audio experience is, I'm assuming, will add to that. But what specifically do you hope to accomplish by adding this Lead from the Heart podcast? Well, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned articles and, you know, the social media following I have. I think that my fundamental belief is that people are really intrigued by this idea of leading from the heart, but there's also this sort of trepidation about, isn't that soft? Isn't that weak management? And so the people that I'm hoping to have on this podcast, which by the way, my goal is to ensure it's not just another leadership podcast, is to bring really different and broad perspectives to how we need to be thinking about leading people in the 21st century. Great. Not necessarily people that agree with your thesis necessarily, but so would you like go head to head with somebody who who thinks, oh, emotions, forget it. I'm, you know, I whip my people into shape by screaming at them. Are you planning to uh, to do any kind of that sort of discussions or are you going to pull people in that support your book? You know, how do you feel about that dynamic? There will be no dissent on the lead. <laughs> we will not have dissenters. Um, you know, the, 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 it's a funny question because there's more people that are dissenters than are greers, you know. Right? So I suspect that I'm going to find that there are people out there that want to come on the show that'll say, you know, this is complete crap and I don't agree with you. But I think what I hope to deliver to my audience is permission. You know, I'm going to give you so many different ways of looking at this that are so compelling and so reinforcing that people feel comfortable taking these practices and these ideas and this philosophy back to their workplace and actually implementing it. But I suspect that um, once I get the courage up that I'll have some people on if I can find people that want to disagree. But you know, it's really interesting, Ken, when I present this, I don't get a lot of disagreement. The disagreement is in people's minds before they hear what it's about. Yeah, I'd like something you said that really struck me is uh, people would, to be able to take it back and implement it, that's kind of one 
piece of it to me is to go back and say, if I'm a manager, I can say, I've really, I read your book and I heard your podcast and I want to go back and, and learn how to treat my people differently and get the kind of results that, that you talk about having gotten over the years. That's one side of it too. Do you think the podcast will help people to, you know, if I'm sort of a line level guy or I'm a, you know, somebody who sees some issues with my own leadership that do you think that this podcast might empower me to go back and say, you know, you ought to listen to this. I bought you a gift. Here's a book <laughs> and, uh, and find a way to start talking about it, you know, from the, from the being managed level as well as the leadership level. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective, the bottom up. One of the interesting things that I found with my book, for example, is that uh, many people have written to tell me that they did this, that they you know wrapped up the book and put a note on it saying, this is something you need to read and gave it to their boss anonymously. <laughs> so, you know, suggesting that, hey, I listened to this podcast and you may want to listen to it because I think it would really help you is a very clever <laughs> way of getting your boss to become a better boss. Well, this is a story <laughs> I haven't told you. I just did a project last week for a company and the people that I worked for and wrote website copy for were super pleased by what they got and took it to their bosses. And the bosses wanted something completely different that had never been communicated to me and therefore they didn't want to pay me and they didn't and they were screaming at the people that actually told me our bosses screamed at us and uh i said hey i have a friend and i've done some work for a guy who wrote a book called lead from the heart and she said you know i think i'm gonna buy that book and give it to him as a gift <laughs> so so we are we know that it happens and when you think about it that way there is that bottom-up message coming from the workers because I forget the statistic, but you talk about it in your book and in your presentations that workers have had it. They've communicated through engagement scores and through leaving companies and quitting and that they've had it. And that seems like a pretty good way to get that message to leadership. I just hope they're catching on. Well, you know, not everybody's ever going to be, you know, people read books and they come back and tell you how great the book is and you ask them what they learned and they tell you. And then the next day you see their behavior and you think, you know, did you really truly embed the ideas? I mean, did that really have any impact on you? So we can't change everybody. People have to be open and, and sort of acknowledging that the way that things are working for them in terms of their leadership leadership would be improved by getting new insight, by getting greater, more enlightened understanding of how to do it. So you mm -hmm. kind of have to meet me halfway to get there. But I think, you know, leadership is one of those topics that many, many people are interested in. And if you can find that there is a source of information that sort of challenges you and says, you know what, I've always believed this, but now I'm hearing it from 20 different people week to week on this podcast. You know, I really feel comfortable that I can do this. And I really feel comfortable that I need to have my boss get on board with this. And mm -hmm. then it's up to them to decide. Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay. So we've determined that the podcast will crush all dissent. So that's good. So we've got the start of a movement there. Talk to me a little <laughs> bit about what kind of, of course, I'm my tongue was in my cheek, but on a podcast, you can't see that. What kind of guests do you hope to get? Are you looking to get CEO? Are you looking to get, you know, what kinds of people and have you, you know, can you give us any secret previews into who might be coming on? What I will say is that the list of people that have already agreed to do this, obviously this is the very first podcast, is so compelling and so interesting, but I'd like to make it a surprise. And so I'm going to hold off on that right now. I'm not sure when this is going to come out, if they're going to come out concurrently. So I, what I will say, though, to your question is, 
you know, am I going to have CEOs on? Yes. There's one particular whose organization was named the, I'll hint here, um, was named the best global workplace. It was one of the first companies to ever be named the best company to work for in America. And the organization won it a couple times. This is an organization that has been run by a lead from the heart methodology for 40 years with unbelievable success. So I'm going to talk to some CEOs, but that's really not going to be the the entirety of it. I want to talk to researchers and academics. People are looking at human motivation and mm-hmm. and how do you get the best out of people? State of the art kinds of things. Authors, scientists, it's going to be the most diverse group of people possibly because I think we need to see it from all those different perspectives to finally say I get it now. I think one of the things about your book that I like about it is it really is a much more human and humane way of treating people, something that, you know, you would think we would already know how to do. And so it makes sense that you would get a wide group of humans to talk about how they're doing it or how (laughs) they want to do it. You mentioned when you talk to people, and I know that you're a professional speaker and a business consultant too. And the business consultant part, as we've talked over our relationship, has kind of grown out of the speaking that you'll go in and you you tell your story and, and it affects people in certain ways. But then there's that follow-up where people will say, hey, uh, I like what you did with your group. Because for anybody listening who hasn't read enough of your material, your teams always overperformed and loved working for you. And that is, well, actually, there's a, a cool story that I want you to tell about that. So I'll I'll table that for now. But when you speak, that's one thing. We have, you know, an hour with you, an hour 15 to hear your story and think about how, you know, we might implement some of that. But then companies will come to you and go, uh, how do we do that here? And some of that is in your book, but also I think it takes a hands-on training kind of approach. So talk a little bit about how you like to help companies who engage you after the speech to actually get that work done and making change. Well, one of the things in order for this to work, first thing I will say, and I've you know I've expressed this in the book, is that you don't need your boss or your organization to lead this way, for you to lead this way. So mm-hmm. you can treat your people, you can support your people in remarkable ways, even if you're not getting that support. So that may take a little courage, but I nevertheless suggest that you do that. But there are companies that many times when I go speak, then it opens up a whole room full of executives and managers to say, this guy's right and we need to manage this way, but then what do you do? And there's different ways of going about it, but I think the most exciting way for me is to help organizations figure out what their culture is going to look like going forward. Because once you define what the values of the companies are, and this means having all the senior managers say, we're going to use these new values as sort of the filter for how we're going to make our decisions. So they're not just platitudes up on the wall. So it it takes a huge commitment. But the company wouldn't ask me to do this if they weren't ready to do it. And so it's exciting work when you can look at what the strengths of the company already are and what's already making it successful and what the limitations are in terms of how people perceive how the work environment works and what's holding them back and then blend those with the knowledge that I have because of all the work that I've done on this. Mm -hmm. And I've helped organizations refigure what their values are. And the last time I did this for a very large company and people were crying when they heard what the values were. 
because it meant so much to them on a deep human level. And I think that's where the the rubber meets the road here is when employees say, thank you for doing this because work is not just a paycheck for me. Work is something that defines my life. And if I'm not happy and satisfied and feeling like I'm doing meaningful work here, it just doesn't sustain me. And so I think that's one of the most exciting parts of this. And then obviously Mm -hmm. training managers how to do this. But if you can get an organization to fully embrace it and change their culture at the top, it's amazing what happens afterwards. And people talk about that, you know, a lot. And there are people in the business of trying to go in and change cultures. And, you know, we read about it a lot, certainly in, uh, on social media and our various, you know, the LinkedIn articles and things that we hear about it a lot and cultural shift and, you know, the inevitability of the change. And, you know, for our own clients, we write for people that are trying to deal with how to figure out, you know, how to evolve and change. And it's a hard thing for humans to do. And it sounds complicated. And that's why I want uh, you to talk a little bit about this story, because there's one story in your book about, um, and as I was saying before, your teams constantly outperformed other teams. And this is a national bank that you worked for. You were senior vice president. You So this is a big organization, and your organization was big, and there were other regional managers and people who were constantly trying to hit these big numbers. And I met you first at one of the, you know, um, celebrations for all of the high performers uh, when all of you managers were lined up there in your tuxedos. And I remember you telling me at those events that people come up to you and go, what is it that you you keep hitting these incredible numbers? What is it that you're doing that's different? And you said, I love my people. And then they would scoff at that and think, come on, I mean, tell us really what that means. And so just talk to me a little bit about that in a business context, what you mean by that, because this goes back to that idea of, is it a soft message? And I think, okay, you could say that maybe loving people is a soft message, but then you've forgotten the rest of the story where your teams are outperforming everybody and hitting these amazing numbers. So talk to me a little bit about how those come together. Well, you know, it's interesting because there's been a lot of validation of that ever since that conversation. And we're probably talking eight or nine years ago, right? It was many years ago. Um, But since then, there's been a lot of validation that shows that what people really want to feel from their direct supervisor is that they are cared about, that they are valued, that they matter to them. And that can't be something that is expressed. It has to be shown. And so in terms of just the commitment that I made to people is that I really wanted to make sure that people who work for me started off feeling safe that they knew that they had, a, they had a relationship with me. I never let people not know where they stood. So if they were performing well, I was very willing to say, you are fantastic. You are such a fantastic hire. I'm so glad you're on my team. Sometimes managers think, oh, if I say that to them, they're gonna try to exploit you and take advantage of it. Never happened to me. But overall was an interest in growing people, developing people, making sure that people knew how much they mattered to me and how much their work mattered to the success of the organization. And I think the piece that you're really looking for was being willing to recognize people. Sometimes we think about, you know, every manager in the world knows that recognition is important, but I can tell you through the course of my career, how many times peer leaders of mine and leaders that I saw in in action would give people huge goals and people would just kill themselves to hit them, working nights and weekends and forfeiting events and their families. And then as soon as they delivered the goods, the 
the boss would say, okay, that's great, but we got to get on because we're two weeks behind in the next goal and I really need you mobilizing. Never let people savor that victory. And so really what I have found is that telling the stories of how people got there, making sure that people knew how much I appreciated it and sharing it publicly so that everybody on the team knew how hard people were working and what they were actually doing to drive those results. It affects people in their hearts, Ken. I mean, I know that sounds soft and weak, but it's true. It affects people so profoundly that people want to come back to a meeting the next month and feel that same way. And so they're willing to do extraordinary work in order to experience those feelings, which means recognition has a really amazing impact on driving future performance. And sometimes we think every time I give recognition to somebody, I have to reach into my pocket. And it's, and I mean that metaphorically, it feels like I'm, I'm giving something away. And I think what I'm really encouraging people to do is think of from a generosity standpoint, that you really can't over appreciate people. And then it's managerial malpractice, not to routinely thank and acknowledge people for the work that they do. So you're saying, and when you love your people, that's just a simple way of saying what you just said. Behind that is the recognition, the respect. I love what you said. You can't just be expressed. It has to be shown. You have to take time out of your day to actually demonstrate that you that you love your people and you love what they're doing and you recognize that they worked hard and you, you know, it's really in some ways all of the things that make a parent successful. You know, you you challenge your child, you love your child, you support them, you make sure they're safe. These are like human needs, really, is what you're feeling. So for those people who think that's soft, I think, well, but every human needs it. Ask a psychologist. Well, I mean, I think one of the things here is for anybody who's tuning into this and going, whoa, love your people. I'm out of here. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, it, you don't have to say it. You just have to show it because that's mm -hmm. what people fundamentally need. So when I say I love my people, it's because I know deep down that's what it translates into. Mm -hmm. People know Mark cares about me as me. And it's not just a global thing. I'm one of his people or one of his employees or someone on his team. They know that I care about them, about their growth, their success, their career aspirations, about you know what's going on in their lives and, and what they're trying to get from work. I know all of that and I tried to you know really sustain that in people and give that to people. And everybody's unique. So there's no everybody gets the same brush. You have to give what people individually need and you get to know them and you find out what that is. And when you give that to people, people are so satisfied and so grateful that they'll do extraordinary work for you. Yeah. That is love. But if somebody doesn't feel comfortable using that terminology, you don't have to. It doesn't yeah. really, you know, just do those things. Yeah. It's we rise when people see us and acknowledge us and need us and express that that we're important, which makes perfect sense. And I, but I was thinking of you standing there with these high powered type A, you know, executives standing around and that it must have been a little bit satisfying to say, ah, the secret is I love my people. Because you had to know that would kind of make their brains explode a little bit, especially a decade ago. Well, I didn't even have the courage to say it. You know, originally when I when I first started speaking several years ago, it was something that I believed, but it wasn't something that I would say. And then I started ending my presentations and saying, if you remember any one thing from this, it's love your people. And mm -hmm. then I went, 
but it's business love, you know, like, a, like I had like a, like a caveat, you know, I yeah. didn't have the full courage. And then I was like, this is nonsense. You know, you, you're speaking your truth. So if you're speaking your truth, then tell them what you really believe. And what I believe is that when you love your people, they will do extraordinary things for you. That's my evolution. No, that's good, because I think that's especially we tend to get into that. You know, we have that thing that's been around forever. You know, it's nothing personal, just business. And everything's personal. And I think we learn that as time goes on. But I think it's good when you've got a leader who acknowledges that you came in the room, not just a person who's supposed to get X amount of things done in that week, but you come in as Ken, the guy who enjoys playing guitar and wrote a book and, you know, and they know all the details about you. And suddenly you feel like I'm valued as a human being when I walk in this place, even if you never really say it to yourself. I think we feel that, like you said, it doesn't necessarily go into their brain, it goes into their hearts, which is cool. I, if I ever did have a real job, I think I'd want to work for somebody like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just used a word that I want to call out here because it's really the central you know, philosophy, the central tenant, the foundational idea, which is that feelings and emotions drive human behavior, what people care about, what they commit to. And so when you're trying to grow people and make people feel safe, make people feel supported. It's all the feelings and the feeling then translates into the thought. It's not the other way around. Mm -hmm. So when people are feeling like, hey, I'm working for somebody who really cares about me, who's giving me great opportunities, who knows what my aspirations are and is helping me meet them. He appreciates me. He encourages me. He's kind to me. He's, he's thoughtful. All of those kinds of things create a feeling. And when people have the experience of positive emotions, it motivates them and inspires them to do even greater things. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you, you use the word feelings. That's really a huge takeaway from the book and everything that I talk about is if you realize that feelings drive people's motivations, then you ought to be thinking, ironically, about how you make people feel and your behaviors and your communication and your style and all of it because uh, it has such a huge impact, positively and negatively. Right, you know, I think about all the people that I've talked to when, in the work that we do with our clients and people simplify those things to, you know, they feel acknowledged, they feel supported, they feel encouraged, but it tends to come out of people who have great bosses that my boss is cool, I love my boss. I, I love working here because I have a great boss. And that's one of the reasons why the big reasons why people love their jobs. People don't tend to say, I love, I love working here because I make $67,000 a year. You know, they say, uh, it's a great place to work because I love my boss and I have a great team. And it's always about the people and it's always about the emotions. And so I'm saying what's in your book now. So I'm going to, uh, I think that's all the questions that I have. Um, I'm excited to hear the conversations with the folks that you have on and uh, see if there's any uh, people who come on and, and challenge you. I think those will be interesting conversations as well. But um, thanks for letting me do this. It was really fun. Well, I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for the idea about bringing on the dissenters. So <laughs> I honestly had not thought about doing that too early in the program. But uh, in honor of you, Ken, I will definitely be doing that. And uh, so as we close, I hope all of you listening will subscribe to the podcast. And my plan, at least at the beginning, is to release a new podcast no less than every two weeks. 
And I also invite you to reach out to me with feedback, questions, suggestions for future guests, some of the dissenters. Um, and, <laughs> and you can find all my contact information on my website. It's leadfromtheheart.com. And so until the next time, always remember when you lead from the heart, actually, this is a Ken Boynton line that he gave me for my book. When you lead from the heart, your people will follow. So this is Mark C. Crowley, and I'm signing off for now. 